We've, uh, we've been doing a series, well, I've been doing a series, and um, it's been going for a little while. The plan is to, uh, that there would be this week, and then uh, two more weeks, and then we'll be finished. So the series has been um, on uh, spiritual gifts, and uh, we're very close to the end. We're in 1 Corinthians 14 at the moment. I think it's been, uh, I trust it's been really helpful. Uh, my goal in it has not to... Uh, uh, not to be anything but pretty straightforward and, uh, and simple about it uh, in terms of the teaching on it. So uh, we're just going to do another little uh, part of that today. And it has to do with speech and words. You, uh, you and I use plenty of them every day. Research suggests you use about 16,000 words a day. And recent research actually suggests that there's not that much difference between a man and a woman's use of words in any particular day. That's, it's been a long-held long kind of notion that uh, women uh, speak a lot more words than men. Uh, but uh, the later, latest research is indicating that uh, it's about 16,000 words a day, um, and men and women say about the same. Words are pretty important. There's lots of talking in the world. There's lots of uh, really harmful things that people can say to each other, and there's lots of things that people can say to each other that are a huge blessing. Um, we talk a lot at church events. If you go to community group, you go to uh, Sunday morning church, you just talk. People talk a lot. We, we pray, we preach, we share words of encouragement. I guess at some level, singing is a kind of speech as well. You know, and what we could actually do today, church, is we could spend a bunch of time which wouldn't be that hard to do to actually look at the harmful ways that people use words against each other or toward each other, but that's actually not the focus of what we're talking about today, all right? The, t- the focus of what we're talking about today is what is the kind of speech that is the most helpful at church? So let's uh, have a look at the scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 1. So if you can open your Bibles to that, that'd be great. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love. Your main thing is to be loving. That's your main thing. We did that in the last message that I preached on out of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter, doesn't just show up in the middle of nowhere as a good text for a, a wedding. Okay, it's actually a text in the middle of talking about how spiritual gifts ought to operate. And if you're new... To Christianity, you're new to uh, the church, you're new to spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are when you become a Christian, you belong to Jesus, He gives you His Holy Spirit. And one of the things His Holy Spirit does when He lives inside of you is He gives you special abilities. And the point of those abilities are to help other people. So um, that's where we're up to now. We've, we've had a, a whole section in 1 Corinthians 13 about love and now we're back into talking about how those special abilities can be used in the church. Pursue love... And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. 
The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. What's the competition between when it comes to the types of speech in the church? Someone tell me. Prophecy and, and tongues. All right? And clearly you can see here that the tongues here is a, is a kind of language that people don't understand. So do you... Is which one... This is kind of what Paul's doing, right? And my boys are just... I just love this, right? Because it's always a competition to see which one's the winner, okay? Which one's going to be the winner at a prophecy that you can understand and tongues which you can't understand? That's kind of where, where Paul's going here. Now, brothers, verse 6, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. What's Paul saying? If you speak in a tongue in church and there isn't an interpreter for you, you should, get, you should pray that God gives you the gift to interpret what you just said that you didn't understand. For if I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless... In the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter will they not say that you're out of your minds but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters he is convicted by all he is called to account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed and so falling on his face he will worship god and declare that god really is among you this is what we're uh, looking at today. What you say and the gifts associated with that. So the first uh, point that I want to hit on here this morning is the best type of talking in church. As I said before, the comparison is tongues and prophecy. And Paul doesn't actually say one's good and one's bad. He just says one's better. When you come to the local kind of church gathering, one's good, one's really helpful, one really builds up. And when it comes to the local gathering, one of them doesn't do a very good job at doing that. So which one should we actually do in, in church? Which one should predominate in churches? 
And, and it begs the question a little bit at this point, like what are we even talking about when it comes to church? Because if this is the only thing that we're talking about when it comes to church, there's no way that all of the spiritual gifts that Paul's talked about are going to be able to be operational on a Sunday morning, true? When you read the stuff that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and to me, it just gets to feel like it's a smaller group. It's probably a house church. It's a smaller group of people where there's much more interaction. It's a community group. That's what we would call it in the project. You know, I, I think that's probably the predominant place where you see the fullest expression of spiritual gifts in the church. I mean, some gifts are going to be expressed on Sunday mornings here at the project, but then that's not going to be the place where most of the gifts actually come into operation because the nature of actually running a service is too restrictive most of the time to actually see those gifts be utilised well. So... What do you need to be able to utilise gifts well? Just come down one more level with me. You need relationship with people. You need to be in community with people. That's what you need. You need to be in a place where you can give and you can receive. And whenever you get in one of those places, I mean, one of the lines that we actually use in the project in 60, and it came from Tim Keller's Church, uh, Redeemer Presbyterian, it's, it's this line, if you're not in a group, you're not in the church. Now, it's not a rule about if you're not in a group, you're not in, a ch- in the church. It's, it's speaking of a community reality, like unless you're actually in a group and you're getting together with other people, you're not going to actually feel like you're in the church. Now, think about it. Wherever the church gets together or pieces of the church, the project church get together, whether it be in community groups or in service groups, this is, I think, what Paul is saying is, like, what's the best kind of speech to have when people get together in those kind of groups? And as we've looked at here, the, the comparison is between tongues and prophecy. It's like a classic Australian survivor. All right? Which one's going to outlast the other one? Which one's going to be the best one? And you've read the passage with me as I read through it, and you know the answer is? Prophecy. Hands down. All right? Tongues doesn't even get close when it comes to the local church community gathering. Why does prophecy win so clearly? Because it builds people up. So have your Bible open there because I just want to refer to a couple of verses. Actually, more than a couple. It's a whole way through. Verse 4. Have a look at verse 4 there in 1 Corinthians 14. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the, the church. All right? So you come together as a church, what do you want to do? Well, you want to do prophecy. That's what you want to do. Now, some of you are going, well, what's prophecy? Well, that's next week. <laughs> We're doing tongues this week. Okay, so you'll, there you go. You'll have to come back next week. Verse 5. What about that one? Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? What's he saying there? If I come speaking in tongues, how do you actually get a benefit? Well, you don't. He's saying, no, you need to do this other thing, so it's a benefit. You go down to verse 6. Verse 6 talks about uh, benefiting others. Verse 9 talks about others knowing what you're saying. Verse 12 talks about building up the church. Verse 13 talks about the need for interpretation of tongues so that the church actually gets built up. Verse 16 says, how are outsiders going to be part of it if they come in and they can't understand anything that's going on? You know, don't, don't make people feel like they're outsiders. Verse 17 is about building people up. Verse 19 
What does Paul say? He says, I'd rather speak five words to instruct other people than 10,000 words in a tongue. How do you decide which one's the best kind of speech to use in a church? It's the one that builds other people up the most. It's simple, really simple. And in a lot of ways, it just makes sense, doesn't it? It just totally makes sense. If you're getting everyone together and the church of God is the community of God, well, what do you want? You want things happening wherever that happens where people are actually being built up and helped. You're not wanting all these random kind of fragmented individual experiences of worship that are actually going on that other people can't be together in. So, some of you at this point in time are probably thinking, well, what is tongues anyway? It's a good question. Let's have a look at it. Come back with me to verse 2 there. For one who speaks in a tongue, in a language, speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. The bottom line here is that there's one expression of tongues which appears to be a personal prayer language. Okay? And there's probably a bunch of people in here who have got the gift of tongues or you've spoken in tongues before. Would it be embarrassing for me to ask you to put your hand up if you've spoken in tongues before? Anyone spoken in tongues? I haven't. Cool. All right. There's an expression of tongues that is a personal prayer language. You go down to uh, verse four, uh, 4 in uh, 1 Corinthians 14 there, you can see the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. So it seems to be, from my point of view, and the reason why I'm saying it like this is because I haven't spoken in tongues. I've seen it and I've heard it lots of times. I'm just talking about from Scripture here. It seems to be that there's a, a type of speaking in tongues, of speaking in another language, which is a personal prayer language that is for personal edification. Okay, go down to verse 19 in 1 Corinthians 14. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others in 10,000 words in a tongue so there's a there's a type of speaking in tongues that is not intelligible to other people it either needs interpretation or it remains uninterpreted and it's for personal edification everyone okay so far all right come with me across to acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. I'd love for you to track that one down because we're going we're gonna to read from verse 1 to 14. This tells the, um, the account, this is the account of the Holy Spirit coming to live in people. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven and at this sound the multitude came together And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, 
both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. What's the other expression of tongues that we actually see in the Bible is actually speaking in another language, which you're not fluent in. And many of you, uh, if you've been in uh, some of the uh, right circles, would have heard stories of people speaking in tongues and speaking in another language that's intelligible to someone else. And that is an absolutely legitimate expression of the gift of tongues. Now, don't close Acts chapter 2 there yet. Because I think there's something really interesting and, uh, and quite fascinating at the end of that section in verse 14 there. Notice that even when there's people who are understanding the tongues variety, that's speaking another language, notice that it's still actually creating a mini kind of problem in the church there. Have a look at verse 14. Sorry, verse 13. But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. What's my point? My point is that you've got these two varieties of tongues and they're both they can both potentially be a little bit of a problem. Now, I'm not saying that because I think tongues is a problem. I just, I'm just saying that they can both potentially be a bit of a problem. This one over here, the personal prayer language, is something that people could do and other people haven't got a clue what's going on or what's being said. There's no interpreter. That's going to be difficult for the church community. But notice this other one over here. Even when people are understanding what's being said, it's still creating a little bit of a problem. Do you see that? Because people are going, what is going on with you people? You guys are on the bottle early in the morning you know what what's the next thing that happens come down to verse 14 in Acts chapter 2 but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them what's that it's actually prophecy prophecy is about a specific word about God to people so you can actually see here this, uh, this kind of precedence that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14 is actually happening even in the variety of tongues where it's speaking in another language. You with me? Prophecy's coming in, in a sense, and it's kind of saving the day a little bit. And that's not because tongues is bad, but because people can actually spin off in their reactions to tongues, and it's actually prophecy that helps to clarify things, and sharpens the communication of a, meth- a, uh, a message that's actually given by God. Now, don't hear me for a second saying that I think tongues is bad. I think it's great and I've prayed for the gift of it. Okay? But we've just got to remember here that what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 14 is that there's a precedence here. And the precedence is the kind of speaking in the speech that actually builds people up. Now come back across with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 14. And I just want you to just have a bit of a gaze there across verse 6 to 12. And notice in particular uh, verse 7 and 8 there. If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? Again, Paul's concern to make sure that in the church, people hear clearly what's going on and they understand clearly 
what's actually happening in the church. And he gives the illustration of musical instruments. And the big idea I think that Paul's getting at here is if the musical instrument just plays the same note all the time and you can't tell the difference between the notes, how are you going to know what's actually being played? How are you actually going to enjoy the music that's being played? If the bugle just blurts out and there's no distinction to it, how do people actually come together and get ready for battle? There needs to be a distinct sound so people can actually be helped. Does anyone remember these? We've got a South African here that can pronounce that for me. Pivazella, thank you. Do you remember it? This is like the 2010 uh, Soccer World Cup in South Africa. The South Africans just love these horns, right? And it became a thing at the, uh, at, at the World Cup in 2010 that everyone, there was all these South Africans taking these horns to the soccer games and it was putting people off. Let me show you a, um, a quick clip uh, from a news uh, new side about uh, back back in 2010. Finally tonight, the duel at the World Cup, and we're not talking soccer, but the South Africans in those plastic horns called vivazuelas, like hornets on steroids. Here's John Berman. Yes, South Africa does have a national anthem, but you'd be lucky to hear it over the sound of the national drone, national buzz, national blare. Going to into a stadium without a, a, a Vuzela really, it's like a really going to war being an unarmed. It's modeled on an antelope horn. Its origin seems to be from when African warriors blew horns to strike fear into their opponents. So you like that sound? Yes, I like it. But it's easy to find people less enthused. Why are you wearing the earplugs? For the noise. <laughs> That noise, about 127 decibels, is louder than an alarm clock, louder than a chainsaw, and only a bit below a gunshot. There are ways of coping. The problem is, it looks kind of silly. But what about the players, subjected to that racket for the whole game? Some are calling for an all-out ban. The French captain even blamed his team's poor performance on the Vuvuzelas, saying they couldn't communicate. And he couldn't finish but it the off. FIFA president running the World Cup said today, I don't see banning the music traditions of fans in their own country. Would you want to see a ban on the fan traditions in your country? And for the South Africans, it is a point of pride. And it's an easy way to meet people, provided you don't expect to hear what they say. John Berman, ABC News, Johannesburg. So you get the picture. I think that's a little bit of what Paul's saying. Like you get a church going and everyone's just speaking in tongues and no one else knows what anyone's saying. You're heading in that direction a bit. Because <laughs> it doesn't necessarily build anyone up. And we need to be building up the church. Now I think there's, you know, we don't want to be too, uh, let's probably just throw this out, we don't want to be too legalistic about it. I mean there are times, and I've heard from people directly involved, there are times where someone speaks and it actually is in a different language. And so I think we just want to be a bit flexible, all right? It's not like we want to draw a line really deep and hard in the sand saying never, ever, ever will there ever be speaking in tongues anywhere at a Christian gathering because it actually might be that God's going to speak through someone and do the Acts 2 variety of speaking in tongues. And so we just want to be a little bit flexible with that. But I think the big idea here that, and the heart behind all of this is let's just make sure that we're saying things and our speech when we gather together is 
of the sort that would be beneficial to people, that will build people up. And I don't think there'd be any arguments against that. That's a good thing to do, right? And maybe sometimes it might be that God inspires someone to speak in tongues and someone else hears it in a different language. And I remember one of my bosses telling me that he was at a crusade in Sydney and his uh, friend started singing in tongues. And uh, this person left the, uh, the meeting that they were at and came back and they were quite emotional. And apparently the guy was singing a Gaelic uh, hymn that uh, the guy's grandmother used to sing when he was a kid, you know. And so there was this thing, other thing that was going on. So I, I think we want to be a little bit flexible. But uh, what's our heart and what's Paul's heart, I think, really clearly in 1 Corinthians 14 is make sure when you get together that you use speech that helps to build people up. That's really, really important. And don't forget, and I want you to hear this from me, really, really loud and clear, the gift of tongues is good. (laughs) And you should probably go and pray for it. It's just not a crazy suitable thing in a corporate community. It just doesn't kind of fit. And I think that's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 14, is that it just doesn't work very well. It's more of a private thing. So go and kind of do your private thing with tongues um, as a general rule because it's more of a private thing. But you can see in 1 Corinthians 14, there are times where it would be suitable in a public gathering. So let me throw one more thing out, uh, and then we'll uh, start wrapping this up. Um, Verse 13 to 19. Have a look at verse 13 to 19. Just have a bit of a skim read over there. You'll notice as you skim read verse 13 to 19, that it's Paul's almost having this discussion there about whether you use your spirit or your mind. And sometimes I think some of you maybe have actually been to churches where they kind of, um, quite negative toward the mind and just say, you've just got to let your spirit go. Stop, you're overthinking it. Stop thinking about it too much. And I think Paul just wouldn't actually come at that kind of thing. He's actually saying, yeah, we actually want both things to be happening simultaneously we never want to be switching our minds off but we need to remember that there's sometimes that things happen that go beyond what we can understand but let's just make sure that we keep our minds switched on it's like you don't have to switch your brain off at the door when you come into the project but God is and he has done and he will do amazing things that stretch us and we just go I don't even know what that is I can't even understand that I can't work it out and that's okay but we're not saying that you have to turn your brain off to make things work at church and I don't think Paul's saying that at all he's saying pray with your mind and your spirit pray with your mind and your spirit sing with your mind and your spirit don't switch it off go for the gift of tongues folks that's a that's a bottom line message here this morning what does Paul say he says uh, I want you all to speak in tongues he wouldn't want that if it wasn't a good thing true so go after it You know, even verse 18 there, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, we don't all have to speak in tongues. I think Paul's been very clear in 1 Corinthians 12 that not everyone gets a gift of tongues. And we'll be really chilled with that. God gives spiritual gifts to whoever he wills. But when we gather together, mutual edification is the goal. Doesn't matter how big we are, whether we're a community group or... Three or four, we just said just there needs to be mutual edification. If there's a way that tongues can be mutual edification, set it loose. There's an interpreter there, it's mutual edification. Set it loose. All right, let's finish here.
Have you ever been in the presence of someone who is like academically just blows you off the map? Like they're so ridiculously intelligent that they just say a whole bunch of things and within 15 seconds you're going, I don't even have a clue what you're talking about now. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I have, all right? I've been in places you just go, I, don't, I haven't got a clue at this point in time. Now, stop for a minute and think about this. How much could God do that to all of us? Like we are scratching, aren't we? Like as human beings, we are scratching to discover the intricacies and the detail about the known universe. And that's not even taking into account the unknown stuff that we don't know. I think it was Blaise Pascal that said mathematics is the alphabet with which God wrote the universe. I mean, we're just still discovering stuff, right? We're still discovering stuff about the atom and now people are talking about dark matter. And in all of this, you've got this insane, I use it euphemistically, you've got this insane mind that has created all of this. And like if you had five minutes with God, he would make your brain, you would pull a brain muscle and tear it and do you get what I'm saying? Like if he decided he was just going to sit down with you and he was going to unleash on you all of his intelligence, you would just snap in half a million times, wouldn't you? It's just like, I cannot get it. Psalm 145 verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Job 26, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Isaiah 55, many of you know know this one, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, sorry, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Oh, the depth... And of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? There is so much stuff about God that you'll never understand. But that doesn't mean that you can't know him. Because do you know what he does? He stoops down and he condescends to speak to you in a way that you will understand. If I can put it in 1 Corinthians 14 language, he stoops down to speak to you for your edification. Doesn't he? Like he could just, he could just go hell for leather with saying a whole bunch of stuff that you haven't got a clue about. But he doesn't do that, does he? He actually comes down in the person of Jesus and takes on human flesh. I mean, what better way to have God, the amazing God whose understanding is you just can't, you can't grasp, it. we don't even know how much, what portion you've got because his, his understanding and, he, and his excellence is just, it, it's infinity. And what does he do? He takes on human flesh, he walks around on the planet and he speaks to you. And he tells you that there was this shepherd that had a hundred sheep. And one of the sheep that this shepherd had got lost. And he left the 99 sheep to go and search for the one that was lost. And when he found it, 
when he found the sheep that was lost, he put it on his shoulder, he came back rejoicing, pumped about it, and threw a party. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Who here has ever been helped and impacted by that story from Luke 15? Yeah, right. The, the complex, magnificently intellectual God who created things that we don't understand yet came down as a human and he told a simple story so that you would be helped. So be like him when you go to church on Sunday mornings, when you go to small group, be like him. What could I say? What could I actually say to someone that would be beneficial and helpful for them? What would edify them? What are, in the words of Paul, what are five good words I could say this Sunday? That's good speech, isn't it? To stop and think about that, what are five good words? Even as you're sitting there, what are five good words that you could say once church finishes? Did you like the footy? Some of you are counting how many words that is. <laughs> There's three types of people in the world, those who can count and those who can't. What are five good words that you could actually say? And it leads us right back to this question again, and this is a good question in the context of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 12. Why did you come to church today? Why did you go to community group this week? Why did you go to youth? Did you go to build other people up? Or to consume. If you've ever noticed that whenever you go to anything, not just church, whenever you go to anything with a consumer mentality, it's rarely ever that something's completely satisfying to you. That something's completely, you're completely happy with something. You see, when you get together in community group, in youth, church on Sunday morning, it's not mainly about your relationship with God. It's not mainly about your relationship with God. There's a sense in which when you come to church on Sunday mornings or you go to youth or you go to community group or you, you're part of the service group that you're in, there's a sense in which you keep one eye on God and one eye on other people. Not like you're checking them out either, right? To see who's here and who's not here. But one eye on other people, it's like, no, my job is actually to bless other people my job is to edify so what's some words that I could say what's some speech that I could set loose that would actually bring that about here's a uh, commentator's um, comment which is what commentators do which I found um, particularly uh, helpful he says this the public worship of God is at its heart a communal experience in which one honors God by keeping a clear focus on him and those others with whom one is engaged in worship. The building up of the community is the basic reason for corporate settings of worship. 
they should probably not be turned into corporate gathering, into a corporate gathering for a thousand individual experiences of worship. True? I think it's true. But here's, here's the challenge. How do you do that? Well, I think it's difficult to do that on a Sunday morning. The smaller you break it down, the more relational you make it, the more obvious that becomes. Like if you went to your community group and someone had this amazing individual experience of worship and connection with God and everyone else got left behind, that would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? I mean, we hope that there's a lot of individual connection with God, but not only that, we're actually wanting to see a corporate communal thing actually happening as well. So, I'm going to pray that uh, God would grant the gift of tongues t- to some of you in a minute. I don't know who, he can give it to whoever he wants because it's a good thing. But it just needs to be in the right place. Amen? Why don't you uh, stand with me? I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to sing a song together. And then we'll finish. Why don't you pray with me? God, we, um, we look to you. And uh, we recognize that whenever your church gathers, that love and mutual edification is the goal. It's not so much a focus on the individual, but more of a focus on the community. And Jesus, you you came, put human skin on, walked around on this earth for incredible community benefit. It's incredible. The billions of people over the years that have chosen to follow you that have had their lives transformed by you, that have heard you speak to them. Good words, intelligible words, words that have brought about change, words that have brought about clarity. uh, You're very, very kind to us. We just love how two-year-old can understand something about you a two-year-old can know you and an 80-year-old with multiple PhDs is still well short of getting their head around you and what you're like so you humble the, the proud and you lift up the lowly you speak to the lowly, you communicate to the lowly and uh, we just love that and so God would you make us a church that that benefits one another. That when we come to uh, church on Sunday morning, we go to youth, we go to uh, community groups, that there just be a sense in going there, God, that it's about mutual benefit. It's not about what I get out of it, what I want. And God, you know that we have a, uh, we have a culture that teaches us that, teaches us to go for what's good for you. 
It's very countercultural what you're saying, God, in the scriptures here. Would you help us to be countercultural? Help us to love each other well, to serve each other well. Challenge us where we're not. And equip us to do it well. God, I pray for a whole bunch of people this week to get the gift of tongues this week as they pray to you, as they uh, sing songs to you, as they worship you in their hearts. God, would you just give liberally of this gift and any other gift that you see fit this week. We desperately need your equipping to do the work that you've asked us to do. So would you just give generously of any gift, but today I'm just asking that you give generously the gift of tongues this week and that there would be people this week that would speak in tongues for the first time and be helped and edified in that. We pray this uh, benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a good day.